Welcome to the Christchurch Winston-Salem podcast. To learn more about Christchurch, visit us at ChristchurchWS.org. Subscribe to our podcast at our website, iTunes, or wherever you listen to podcasts. Thanks for listening. May be seated. Well, at Christ Church, we follow a yearly cycle of biblically based celebrations that root our lives in the good news about Jesus. We go through a cycle every year. In fact, we call it the Christian year, or we call it the church year. And today is a very special day in the cycle of the Christian year. It is the celebration of Christ the King, or the feast of Christ the King. So, Viva Cristo Rey. So that's all I got to say about that. <laughs> you should learn that. There's a big history behind that, uh, that phrase. You know, each of the seasons and special days in the Christian year remind us about a theological truth, a truth that comes directly from the Word of God, straight from the Bible. And by following the Christian year, this is what we are attempting to do. We're be- we are being subtly shaped to see the world through the lens of Holy Scripture. We are being shaped to see the lens, see the world through the lens of the Bible. So we are being transformed. This is what we're hoping is happening. We're being transformed by the renewing of our minds, not just by preaching or singing or receiving the Lord's Supper, but by, listen, by the calendar. God is Lord of the calendar. And that's what we are doing at Christ Church. We're making that point every time we come to one of these special celebrations. So whatever holidays any group of people observes shapes their imaginations. It shapes their affections. No matter where you are in the world or what country you're in, whatever the celebrations you, you focus on through the course of a year, those will shape your imagination. They'll shape your affections, the things that you love and desire. And our imaginations and our affections, this is important, this is why we're using the calendar in this way, those affections and imaginations that are shaped by those annual celebrations actually determine how we act and how we live. We act, we live out of, not not what we're thinking, but what we're wanting. We act not out of our intellect. Our intellect usually supports what we desire and what our loves are. We use our intellect, but typically our actions are rooted in our wants and in our desires. They define us. So we live out our lives based on our loves. Now just think about it. Just think about Black Friday. It is an annual celebration. We didn't have a declaration of Congress uh, to make this be a holiday, but doggone it, it is. Think about all the. uh, Think about how that way that the way that that day shapes our excuse me, our desires and affections, and how those desires and affections become behaviors. That's what marketers are counting on. That's why they spent that money to get those circulars in the newspaper and in in your mailbox or paid for that ad to pop up on whatever screen you're watching is they're trying to shape your actions by shaping your desires and affections, and they've even attached a holiday to it. But I overcame Black Friday, I just want you to know. I just... I sat right there because I'm giving it all to Cyber Monday. So, <laughs> <laughs> so, 
So the reason that we have built these special days like Christ the King and seasons into our Christian calendar is the per- for the purpose of reminding us about the truth of who God is and about shaping us as disciples. So it's about sh- reminding us about the truth of who God is and then forming us as disciples. And that's what we're all about here at Christ Church. So today is the last Sunday of the Christian year. This is December 31st for Christians right now. Today is it. Uh, It's Christ the King Sunday. This is the end of time for us. And that's why we've changed actually the way that our worship space is set up. We've moved the altar table up to the very back of the wall. We would call this liturgical east, even though uh, that's actually due south, I think, (laughs) But for us in this building right now, that's east. We said so. Um, So we moved the altar table all the way to the back wall, and the ministers, along with all the people, are going to be facing in the same direction when we pray. Why do we do that? Because it kind of reminds us of a throne room. It's a more kingly way of worshiping. We're We're coming before the great King of kings and Lord of lords. And with all of that in mind, listen again to that passage from Revelation chapter 1. Grace to you and peace from him who is and who was and who is to come and from the seven spirits who are before his throne and from Jesus Christ, the faithful witness, the firstborn of the dead, listen, the ruler of the kings on earth, the ruler of kings on earth, to him who loves us and has freed us from our sins by his blood and has made us, are you listening, has made us a kingdom, priests, to serve his God and Father. To him be glory and dominion forever and ever. Amen. Behold, he is coming with the clouds and every eye will see him, even those who pierced him and all the tribes of the earth will well on account of him. Even so, amen. So I hope you were listening to that passage. Jesus, it says, is the ruler of kings on earth, the ruler of kings on earth. That means that he is the ruler of kings on earth right this minute. He rules today. He rules now. Not just when he returns in glory at the end of the age. The book of Revelation was written precisely because there was a persecuted Christian community in which the government had sanctioned torture and killing of those Christians who remained faithful to Jesus above every other allegiance. Their world seemed to be under the control of powers, the powers that hate Jesus. Jesus shows John in this book the reality of who he is and who we are, and that's what they needed to hear, and that's what we need to hear. We need the Holy Spirit and the Word of God to nail this truth on our hearts. He is the ruler of kings on earth. Today, Jesus is king. And we are first and foremost citizens. He has made us a kingdom. We are citizens. We are subjects of his kingdom. That is the ultimate truth, regardless of what you may see around you right now. And that's exactly what John was saying to the churches in Asia who were being persecuted under direct revelation from Jesus Christ. He's saying, regardless of how your situation looks right now, Jesus is ruler of kings on earth. Jesus is Lord today. He is Lord of Saudi Arabia. He is king in Riyadh. Jesus is Lord over North Korea. Jesus is Lord over Washington, D.C. There is not one square inch of planet Earth where Jesus does not rule, regardless of how anyone in those places feels about it. 
This truth has a direct application to your life and to my life this morning. And so that's what I want us to spend the remainder of this sermon thinking about and communicating. And here's the very first thing that we see in this passage. We actually saw it in the passage from John's Gospel, John 18. Jesus has been brought before Pilate, the Roman uh, procurator, the Roman governor of the province of Palestine around the year 33 A.D., Jesus is brought into the governor's office. He's the highest-ranking Roman official in that area. He's been brought there because he's been accused of sedition, of stirring up the people, of saying that he is a king. And Pilate is concerned about that because that might mean that there is a rebellion a-brewing. But here's what we find out in that passage, and here's the first point. Jesus is a different kind of king. That's what Pilate couldn't figure out. Pilate was thinking in the political terms of his own day. He was thinking about the kind of rulers that he knew. So verse 33, so Pilate entered his headquarters again and called Jesus and said to him, are you the king of the Jews? Jesus answered him, do you say this of your own accord or did others say it about me? In other words, Jesus is saying to Pilate, are you thinking of the kind of king where you have armies and and thrones where we rule by coercion and force. Is that what you're thinking about? Is that what others have said about me? Or is that what you've thought? Pilate answered, Am I a Jew? Your own nation and chief priests have delivered you over to me. What have you done? And listen to this. Jesus answered, My kingdom is not of this world. Now when he says that, here's what you should not hear. He does not mean, My kingdom is in heaven. I just can't wait to get back there. You know, my kingdom is not located here. It's located up in glory. No, that's what he's not saying. He's saying this. My kingdom is not like the kingdoms of this world. It's not of the same category. It's not the same species. It's not the same variety of kingdom that you're used to. My kingdom is not of this world. If my kingdom were like the kingdoms of this world, my servants would have been fighting that I might not be delivered over to the Jews. But my kingdom is not from this world. My kingdom is not like this world's kingdoms. So Jesus is not like those other kings. He's not about conquest and coercion. Jesus Christ, the king, reveals a different kind of ruler, one who lays down his life, listen, for his enemies. He turns kingship on its head. I have many times, well, not many times, but several times uh, brought in at this point Gregory, St. Gregory of Nazianzus, third theological oration. Because even though I know you're very familiar with it, it bears repeating. And I've kind of modified it a little bit. Gregory was trying to show the contrast between King Jesus and the kind of kings this world knows about in that theological oration. And so he writes, he came from eternal glory, yet he was cradled in a manger. Came from glory to lie in a feed box. He was obedient as a child, yet as a child taught the wise in the temple. He created all things, yet he possessed nothing. See these contrasts. He brought joy to the multitudes, yet he was a man of sorrows and acquainted with grief. He hungered, but he fed thousands. He thirsted, but he cried out, If any man thirsts, let him come to me and drink. 
He is the Ancient of Days. We heard that in Daniel this morning. Yet he welcomed little children into his midst. He was sold cheap for only 30 pieces of silver, but he redeems the world at a great price for the price of his own blood. He raised the dead, yet offered himself as a victim to death. He was the most innocent of all humanity, yet he was convicted as a criminal. He eased the suffering of the sick, but he himself was bruised for our iniquities, and by his stripes we are healed. He was due the worship of men and angels, but he was mocked when he was lifted up on the cross. He died, and yet he rose from the dead and destroys death. He has the sovereign right to do as he pleases to our lives, yet he awaits an invitation to enter even the heart of a child. If anyone opens the door to me, I will come in and eat with him and he with me. He came in humility and was killed in shame, shame, but he will return in glory. Many reject him today, but all will bow the knee to him at his appearing. That's the king we serve. That's our king. The second thing here is that the truth that Jesus Christ is the king destroys. Listen, this is so important for us sitting here this morning. The truth that Jesus Christ is king destroys the idea of Christianity as spiritual therapy. It eliminates the idea of Christianity as mere spiritual therapy. What do I mean by that? Well, first of all, it eliminates the idea that most people, if they go to church, have of what happens on Sunday morning. American Christianity in many places had descended into church as Starbucks and a TED Talk. Yes, we would like to have one of those countdown clocks right here for me, but it's not a TED Talk. Much of what is promoted in American Christianity is what I would call therapeutic consumerism. This is the assumption that the church exists to meet people's felt needs. The church provides me with religious goods and services. That's what it's for. This is most often revealed through a false gospel of therapy and technique. Instead of being the apocalyptic testimony of God's destruction of the powers of sin, death, and hell, and God's instigation of a new creation through the death and resurrection of Jesus Christ, Christianity is merely reduced to a therapeutic program. It should fix my marriage, or it should fix my kids, or it should help me not be lonely, or it should fix my finances, etc., etc. This is accomplished through providing the religious consumer with techniques, and you hear it in sermons like five ways, five ways to raise better kids, seven ways to be a more successful investor. I don't know. But Christ the King Sunday shakes us out of the idolatry that Christianity in general and worship in particular is about us, about what we get out of it. Please hear that. Uh, because uh, most people um, make their decisions about where they go to church or what they get out of it, not whether or not Jesus Christ is rightly honored and exalted, whether or not the triune God is worshipped in truth, whether or not the Word of God is preached with, with conviction and the sacraments are administered duly. 
You see, those things should happen, and if those do happen, then the other part will happen as well. We have our desires and needs reshaped and met, but most people don't have the attention span to come in and find out whether or not God is going to use a church to shape me as a disciple through the right worship of God, through word and sacrament, and through the disciplined body of believers. Rather, what did I get out of it my first Sunday there? Worship is about offering praise and honor to our shepherd king. But the good news is that in rightly praising and honoring Jesus Christ, we do actually find joy and fulfillment. That really is the source of joy and fulfillment. What we were hoping for, you know, I've said things like this before, uh, if you are looking for happiness, it's like a dog chasing its tail. The harder you run after it, the faster it recedes from you, okay? If the, the same, in that same vein, if that's what you're looking, you know, finding fulfillment in worship, if that's your objective, you, the more you pursue this being about me, the faster fulfillment recedes. As soon as it becomes about seeking and honoring and loving the Lord Jesus Christ and offering ourselves, not just in our mouths and rote words, but in our hearts to Him, we find that actually our true desires are met and our greatest joys are given to us. C.S. Lewis, ha ha, yes, I'm going to talk about him again. <laughs> he wrote in Reflections on the Psalms, he said, I think... I think we delight to praise what we enjoy because the praise not merely expresses but completes the enjoyment. It is, it is its appointed consummation. It is not out of compliment that lovers keep telling one another how beautiful they are. They, the delight is incomplete until it is expressed. In other words, you're not just going through a... It's not just rote. When you're in love with somebody and you're telling them how pretty they are, it's not because you... Okay, list of things to do. Tell them they're real pretty. Yeah. No, you can't stop telling them they're beautiful. You're so beautiful. I love you so much. I can't... Your hair is amazing. My one hair is amazing. (laughs) You know, we, we say those things out of the delight, and here's what Lewis is talking about, it is in expressing the praise of the one we love that the delight is fulfilled and consummated. And so when we come to, the, to, to worship before King Jesus, and, and you know, we say, I, was, I wrote it down in my journal, this, I finished up, one, I love finishing a journal and starting a new journal. Opening a new journal is just a beautiful thing, but I felt like I had to have a final word in my journal that I was finishing up. And so the last word in my journal basically was, Jesus, I love you. Jesus, I love you. And you know, that feeling of love is is accentuated and consummated when we come to him in worship. And we, we offer that praise to him, Jesus, you are beautiful. Jesus, you are worthy. I love you. We find that the joy is made complete. Our delight in God is consummated and enhanced through God-centered, not man-centered, but God-centered worship. Finally, Christ the King shows us that our current secular politics are not ultimate. Somebody please say amen. Our current 
secular politics are not ultimate. We have a political loyalty to the ultimate ruler of the universe, Jesus Christ. Here's one of the factors that I believe contributes to the current political divisions and rancor in this nation. When, listen, when a, when a sizable segment of the population believes that there is nothing more to life than shopping and sex, in other words, that this material, natural world is all that there is, there's no transcendent reality, I might say the word God, I might even have a nice thought about God, but as far as how I really live my life out, this is it. This is all there is. You know, you get it while the getting's good. What is it? You only live once? YOLO, is that the thing? You only live once. When everybody's convinced of YOLO, you only live once. There, there is no God, no reality beyond this material universe. At that point, politics becomes the ultimate concern. See, do you see how that works? See, politics have become a replacement for religion for a large number of people in this country because there's nothing beyond this world. There's no transcendent reality. There's no transcendent political reality beyond merely partisan politics. When our society believed that there was an ultimate reality, an ultimate reality meaning a, a, a meaning that transcended this world, then people could disagree. When most everyone, you might, have been, you might have been somewhere on a religious spectrum, but you were on the religious spectrum. When we agreed that there was something beyond this world, then people could disagree politically, but it did not have to become divisive. It didn't have to go to nuclear war because we mostly agreed on the things that were ultimately important, things that were transcendent. And once you remove transcendence, the thing that is next in line becomes ultimately important. Now here's the corollary that goes along with this and that affects us, and this is why we should not be wrapped up in the rancor of the political moment because we believe our ultimate allegiance is to a king who is king of all, king in Riyadh, king of North Korea, king of North America, Wherever you go, Jesus is Lord. That's the ultimate reality. To say that Jesus Christ is my king means that my absolute loyalty is not, is not to the Constitution of the United States. My absolute loyalty is to the crucified and risen king. So I'm right here, I'm here today to tell you my absolute loyalty is not to the Constitution of the United States of America or any other political body in this world. So that means when Caesar demands loyalty that belongs to Jesus alone, we look, Jesus, uh, we look Caesar in the eye and we politely say no. If, you ask, if Caesar says, I want the loyalty that belongs to God alone, if the government says, you, get, you must give me what belongs to God alone, then we say no. We're always getting in trouble about, about this, by the way. And when Caesar says, well, if you, if you don't, we'll take your stuff if you don't obey, then we say, well, we brought nothing into the world and we can take nothing out of it. We will be content with whatever we have. And when Caesar says, well, we'll take your life, and then we look him in the face and laugh, a really mirthful laugh, an outrageous laugh, and say, we already gave our lives away. We died before we got here. We bury babies in baptism." 
All you can do is kill the body, but we fear, fear the one who not only can kill the body, but also has authority to cast the soul into hell. We follow a king who claimed the cross as his throne. And in that line, um, Stanley Harawas, Will Willman, some years ago wrote in a book, Resident Aliens, very important book to me. They said, as Jesus demonstrated, the world for all its beauty is hostile to the truth. Witness without compromise leads to worldly hostility. The cross is not a sign of the church's quiet, suffering submission to the powers that be, but rather the church's revolutionary participation in the victory of Christ over those powers. The cross is not a symbol for general human suffering and oppression. Rather, the cross is a sign of what happens when one takes God's account of reality more seriously than Caesar's. The cross stands as God's and ours eternal no to the powers of death, as well as God's eternal yes to humanity. God's remarkable determination to not leave us to our own devices. The overriding political task, listen, the overriding political task of the church is to be the community of the cross. That's who we are called to be. And that's what Jesus as king reminds us. Now here's where I quit preaching and start meddling. If Jesus is our king, that makes us his ambassadors in this world. Yeah. If Jesus is my king, then I am his representative. I am his ambassador on foreign soil. So we need to ask yourselves this, ask ourselves this. How well are we representing our king? I want to tell you, based on what others have shown me from, I'm not on social media, but I get reports. <laughs> I can't tell Jesus is your king. I can't tell that you think he's ultimately Lord of Lord and King of Kings. Not everybody. And not all of us all the time. Sometimes we slip up and fall. You know, Jesus said, out of the abundance of the heart, the mouth speaks. If that's true, some of us have heart problems this morning. The book of James says, fresh water and salt water cannot come out of the same spring. Talking about our speech. Well, I didn't say it out loud. I wrote it on Facebook. Oh, that made a big difference. Just everybody heard it instead of one person. Fresh water and salt water don't come out of the same spring. Be careful. Um, some of us have misrepresented Jesus. The way you talk and represent yourself on social media makes people think Jesus is a mean, right-wing fanatic. Or the other end of the spectrum. Everybody gets this. So... I want to encourage, um, uh, if, if you're not just taking pictures of, of your food and, and of puppies and grumpy cat and putting those on Facebook, if, if, it's, if it gets into, um, just, remember, just remember, when, you, when you're about to post that screed, that rant, that you're an ambassador for a king, 
I've literally had people who do not belong to this church talk to me and say, does this person go to your church? I can't believe they represented themselves that way. I can't tell they're a believer. So that's not everybody. But if that's you, would you, would you do this, brothers or sisters? Would you please repent of that and lay that down and maybe just get off? Just leave it alone. It's not, hurt, it's not helping you. It's hurting you spiritually, and it's hurting the witness. Your witness for Jesus is hurting the witness of our church. Are we operating under the illusion that the current political situation in this country is ultimately important and that God is not in control of the course of human history? Then that today should remind us that that's not true. Today means that Jesus is the ruler of kings on earth right now. No matter what country in the world, no matter what political system, Jesus is ruler. So brothers and sisters, as ambassadors for Christ this morning, let's go out and live like that's true. In the name of the Father, and of the Son, and of the Holy Spirit. Thanks for listening. To learn more about Christ Church, visit us at ChristChurchWS.org. Subscribe to our podcast at our website, iTunes, or wherever you listen to podcasts.